0: Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in snowy Cincinnati. Going to go over my latest 2022 NFL mock draft. Going to highlight some of the picks that are different from my last mock draft, different from Renner's mock draft. Also going to discuss Rams, Cardinals, and the disaster that was for the Red Nation Flock C. And then at the back end of the show, interviews with Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati quarterback, and Texas a m running back Isaiah Spiller. Let's get it. Had Isaiah Spiller the interview, which was fantastic. And I did not say Spiller, I hardly know. No, her. No. I held it oh, in. I'm I held it you. in. You're growing up. <laughs> no, those interviews are great though Ritter and Spiller. But let's get to the catching early buzz. Mike Mayock out as GM. What was hilarious is reports were coming out that the Raiders were interviewing head coaching candidates and GM candidates, and they haven't officially released or fired either Mike Mayock or Basaccia then like 10 minutes after some of the reports came out that they were interviewing some GM candidates they say he's not going to come back Mike Mayock's not going to come back but they still haven't said that to Mm Basaccia apparently interviewing Basaccia along with other head coaching candidates but Mike Mayock officially out after I think what three drafts with the Las Vegas Raiders 2018 no 2019, 2020, and 2021, I think, were the only three drafts that he had. The 2018 draft was Gruden and Gruden alone, where they took Colton Miller. I have here the top 100 picks in the Mike Mayock era, starting with that first draft he had oh, in Las don't, Vegas. Don't. We
1: don't, do not we have to read it? Go ahead and read them. We have it's to. Gonna, it's brutal. It's, it's tough. Brutal. It's, it hurts to
0: see. Cleveland Furl, number four overall player, who doesn't start for the team currently. <laughs> Josh Jacobs, the starting running back, low-value position at the back end of the first round. They also drafted Jonathan Abram, who has moved from safety to a linebacker a low value position and still starts for this team technically. And Trayvon Mullen, who has missed a lot of his a lot of this past season due to injury, but probably the best pick out of all those guys from a, from a value standpoint. Trayvon Mullen, when healthy, has been good. The following draft, Henry Ruggs, which I want to get ahead of, get out ahead of this. I don't think you can blame at all Mike Mayock for the Henry Ruggs situation for what ultimately happened with Henry Ruggs. You cannot blame Mike Mayock for. Talking to some of the Raiders beat writers that came through to Cincinnati said. No, no one saw this coming, right? Whereas, whereas the next pick, Damon Arnett, you can. Damon Arnett was a 30-inch, he had 30-inch arms, which in the NFL there are only two outside cornerbacks that played more than 400 snaps this year with 30-inch arms or less. Dante Jackson and I, I think Kareem Jackson might be the other one. But, like, you drafted a 25th percentile athlete with 30-inch arms and known off-field concerns. And you're somehow shocked that he struggles to see the field and – throws guns out on IG. Like this one you could see coming from a mile away. Then you drafted Limbo Bowden Jr. in the third round and traded him before he played it down for the team for a fifth-round pick, the former Kentucky quarterback running back combo. Brian Edwards ranked third to last in yards for a run at outside receiver this past year. Third to last over the past two years as well. And then Tanner Muse, I don't think, is on the team. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if Tanner Muse is on the team. He could be on the practice squad. Who knows? Then you have this previous year, Alex Leatherwood, ranked second to last in pressure rate allowed. Triple America has actually been a successful pick for them, has started a ton, has played a ton. Malcolm Kuntz, rotational player. Divine Diablo started to play late because of how bad they are at linebacker. Mm-hmm. Like, how bad they are at off-ball linebacker. Divine Diablo, who played safety in college, playing linebacker for this team. Not a lot to write home about in the top 100 for Mike Mayock.
1: Yeah, and obviously this year, like, those picks obviously could still develop. I'm not going to write Absolutely. any of those guys off. But... It's bad. Like, that's, a ba- that's about as bad, at least 2019 and 2020 is the worst two-year stretch of first-rounders I can remember. You got five first-rounders turning into zero true impact players as starters and a lot of premium picks there with four, 12, 19, 24, 27. So that's an ugly stretch. Now, the thing is, who's responsible? It's kind of, as an outsider, it's like, from everything you hear, it seems like Mayock was not in charge of these early picks. He did not have the control and one of the, and so from that regard I feel bad for yeah, Mike Mack in this situation he is going to have this on his record whether fair or not as his track record as GM because no one you don't get to go behind you know the door and see who actually was calling the shots there but just damn like that you have to feel bad for a guy I wonder why like I, my first reaction is like why would you even take that job in the first place but I think that's easier said than done in the moment when you are in this sector, in the media, and you get offered that position, even if you don't have full control, it would be difficult to turn down. But the way it turned out was just an unmitigated disaster.
0: Yeah, my pushback to how much of this was Gruden, everyone you talk to close to the situation knows, not not thinks, knows, Gruden had final say on all these decisions. But the pushback is that Mike Mayock had influence, right? Like Mike Mayock had influence on these decisions. And while he didn't have final say, you know who knows Mike Mayock's influence? is fucking the owner. The owner that just made the decision to move on from him. If, if well, I
1: mean, we've seen fucking the track record there in terms of hiring, firing coaches uh, that maybe he's not
0: the best It's true, judge. but I, I have to think that Mark Davis, if he felt that Mike Mayock literally had zero say on these decisions, he wouldn't fire him. Like, But I think yeah. Mark Davis knows the impact and yeah. the influence that Mayock had on these calls. And,
1: and go ahead. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is you can see his free agent track record which is not good either. Exactly. I mean, outside of this past year, getting Casey Hayward, there, there's not a lot to write home about in terms Yannick of and, free- Gakwe. And, and Yannick Ngakwe. And Yannick so that was the other one. This past year, they finally start hitting on him. But in the past, a lot of the guys they signed, where it's like LaMarcus Joyner, uh, I guess reaching incognito, incognito was a solid sign, but Corey Littleton, a lot of the guys that they signed to try to fix this defense, fix this offense, did not pan out.
0: I mean, Tyrell Williams. I mean, no one even remembers yes. they signed Tyrell Williams because yeah. he never even played a down for them or whatever it was. It might have been minimal downs. The other thing is I tweeted this list out, and you have a lot of people It's like, what? There's four or five starters. That's not the issue yeah. here. The fact that they have starters out of these top 100 picks, it's not the issue. It's that you did not spend these premium selections – On high value players that ultimately panned out they ignored in my opinion too many market factors athleticism production off-field concerns market value right where are the other where the other teams or media saw this class and just went blind and like cleveland furrow overdrafted compared to consensus boards josh jacobs overdrafted compared to consensus boards rugs over judy was an overdraft damon arnett overdraft alex leatherwood overdraft they ignored too many market factors and yeah, they did get starters, sure. But it's not about getting starters. It's about getting high-performing players yeah. above market value at premium positions. And I mean, that's what ultimately got ignored, right? I think some of this is also a development issue. Like, they have not developed a lot of these players. John- Jonathan Abram has played multiple positions. Cleveland Furl has played multiple positions. They traded Lynn Bowden Jr. before he even played a fucking game. Like, some of this is development, too. I mean, Damon Arnett obviously didn't get the help that he needed. They drafted Alex Leatherwood to play right tackle, and now he's playing right guard. Mm-hmm. Like... There's a lot There's a lot of this that's even beyond just identifying talent. It's a development issue. It's ignoring market factors. It's not looking at athleticism and seeing how that translates. That's the concern. I do think, though,
1: that if there is any damning sort of evidence that there was a divide between head coach and GM in terms of these draft decisions, it's the fact that Lin Bowden can get traded before he plays it down, that Tanner Muse can get cut before he plays it down, that you're making these picks, Damon Arnett, that this, in and out. now, if Damon Arnett was a good player, he's not getting cut for what he did. But the fact that he gets cut immediately, like there is a rift between, like the fact that the GM, Mike Mayak was willing to give up on these players so quickly means maybe he wasn't the guy who was drafting him in the first place.
0: Last comment I have on this, I don't want to beat a dead horse too much, and we're going to get into power ranking the open GM slots and talk about the opportunity the Raiders have with a new GM and likely a new head coach. Last comment, and this comes from some of the feedback from that tweet, is like, what are you talking? You left off Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro, which are players that he picked outside the top yeah. 100. Now, if your mom gives you $5 to run a lemonade stand, And you spend the $5 on dumpster fire, but you find on the ground some gems here. You find on the ground some sugar and some cups or whatever for the lemonade stand. That's great. But you need to take advantage of the premium capital that you have. That's how the best GMs move forward. It's not about finding gems and just setting fire to to your first five picks. You need to hit on those players so you can get – actual premium players like it's not it's so un, you know it's obviously positive that they identified Crosby and identified Rumfro and developed them into core contributors captains on this team but the fact that they've mismanaged the premium capital that they were given that's the bigger issue.
1: Yeah, it's like Seattle finding Richard Sherman in the 5th. That put them into a Super Bowl contender getting a guy like that in the 5th because they hit on Bobby Wagner early. They hit on Earl Thomas early. They hit on Russell Cook early. Yeah. They hit on Russell Wilson earlier. But then you get that piece that's how you get the window that the Seattle Seahawks had they hit on guys like Max Crosby uh, Hunter Renfro later on in the drafts that should have been the thing that pushes you over the top the icing on the cake that makes you into this contender because exactly. you should have been hitting at least singles and doubles with those top 100 picks and they struck out far too many times
0: uh let's get to Cardinals Rams Cardinals Rams played last night I don't Do you know want if Cardinals
1: rank the GM jobs now
0: oh we don't want to talk Cardinals Rams yet oh we can talk Cardinals Rams all right whatever I kind of feel Cardinals Rams. <laughs> Cardinals Rams is the next thing I had on my list, even though Brenner hates it. But Cardinals Rams, Red Nation, Flock Nation, you know, the two teams that I faded and I had fans out my ass, on my ass upset. Colts and Cardinals both win zero playoff games this year. And it's an unfortunate it scene. Them. It's an unfortunate scene for Flock Nation. It's an unfortunate scene for Colt Nation. Um, but they just didn't show up, man. The offense had negative four yards through the first like 20 minutes of that game. Mistake after mistake, offense came out flat, couldn't create any positive plays, chased negative plays, errors on Murray's part, errors on Cliff Kingsbury's part, and ultimately dug themselves into such a big hole in the first 20 minutes of that game that they were never coming back. And you know, the immediate immediate reaction for me was how does Cliff Kingsbury and these Cardinals in his led teams continue to fall off towards the back half of seasons? And I know he's improved from a total wins perspective each of his years, but like, why does this continue to happen for Arizona? And at some point someone is to blame. And at some point you do have too much talent to fail as consistently as they have. Is that an overreaction? Should there be some, some decisions made about Cliff Kingsbury or Kyler Murray, some of the top people here, or is it just, Nope. You know, we got closer. Every year we get closer. We're going to add some more talent, and we're going to get there.
1: I'm not moving on from Cliff Kingsbury. I think resetting at this point could do you more harm than good uh, with Kyler Murray, where he is at in his development. But I'm who I'm looking at and, like, more of the problem here is that this still was a team that, like I said, very much was overachieving. Like, they are overachieving because they don't have – a lot of good draft picks. Like we talk about how do you win Super Bowls, you have guys who you're paying less money than what they're worth. You have guys who are good on rookie deals. They have the Holy Grail. They have Kyler Murray, MVP candidate, on a rookie deal. That is what every single GM is looking for. And they can supplant it with no other cheap talent. They've not done anything to surround him with cheap talent. And the offense goes in the tank when you lose DeAndre Hopkins, your best wide receiver. And obviously we can have that conversation about how important playmakers are. They're super important. You look at... I mean, last year with the Bucs win the Super Bowl with all the wide-receiving talent they have. That is what separates these offenses in today's day and age in the NFL. So that cannot be understood. They lost to Andrew Hopkins. But also, like, they've thrown some draft capital at wide receivers and missed a lot. This just – the draft history from Steve Kime is why your overachieving season still doesn't win a division and still doesn't win a playoff game despite, like I said, having what – we've called the Chica, the rookie deal QB playing at an elite level should give you a Super Bowl caliber chance, but it is not the case right now with Arizona.
0: And I think that kind of draws a magnifying glass to the bigger issue, right? And I think it's going to be a perfect transition to power ranking the GM jobs, which I know you're excited to do, but Steve Keim, I was looking at his track record in the NFL before this, because I feel like he has got such a long leash in Arizona. He has worked exclusively for the Arizona Cardinals since 1999. Started as a regional scout and worked all the way up to GM in 2013 and has now been the GM since 2013. Despite what has been a mixed bag, and I think that's putting it positively, of top 50 picks in that tenure. Starting in 2013, Jonathan Cooper, Kevin Minter, then Deion Buchanan, then DJ Humphries, then Robert incan First top 50 picks he had. Hassan Reddick, Buda Baker. Buda Baker has obviously been a hit. Reddick does no longer play for the team. Josh Rosen, Christian Kirk, which I don't think either exceeded expectations. Kirk is still on the team. Kyler Murray, Byron Murphy, where you don't get Kyler Murray as Steve Keim unless you draft Josh Rosen the year before, right? Like that's the only – that's the, you can yeah. you know, call that a hit for Steve Kime He had the number one overall pick, and the, the best player in that draft was obvious. And the only reason he had the number one overall pick was because of decisions in previous years. Then Isaiah Simmons, Savin Collins, Rondo Moore, where the jury is obviously still out on those top fifty picks. But Steve Kime, in my opinion, over the past since twenty thirteen, mixed bag. I think is putting it possibly he's done a very poor job I mean, at building you, a playoff competitive roster outside of Kyler Murray.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could argue he's been the worst drafting GM over, at least the worst draft and GM that's still been employed over that entire span. You know, yeah. um, it, it's just been not a lot to write home about to where it, it's kind of a, like he has supplemented it with some good moves, but with some good trades, some good free agent signings, like the the trade for DeAndre Hopkins, the trade for Chandler Jones, those were great moves. Those are cornerstone pieces of that franchise. But his draft track record, like the amount of like picks where you're like, that was a good above and beyond pick of where you expected to get that spot. And you can't even like really give him credit for the Kyler Murray move. Because like you said, Drafting Josh Rosen is what got him there. And then once they had no more overall no pick, everyone and their mother would have drafted Kyler Murray. So it's not like there was some insight that he had. It's like everyone could see Kyler Murray was that dude coming out of Oklahoma. So, yeah, uh, um, it it pays to be – it's a relationship business, and I think that's a big factor of him still keeping Obviously,
0: job. right? You don't yeah. work from 1999 1999- – to 2022 with the same organization yeah. unless you are obviously tight-knit with ownership there let's talk a little bit about the rams matthew stafford wins his first playoff game in his career they come out firing Odo beckham jr with an a 9.9 pff grade in this one offensive line played well cam acres cam acres should win comeback player of the year he came back in the same season well, no i'm just but. kidding i'm just kidding but still yes. but still it was absolutely what i mean, did too
1: but that was absurd that Cam torn Achilles, torn Achilles to
0: come back and he looked yeah. good. Like he was not just back; he looked good.
1: Yeah, that was impressive. That was that I can't believe. Like that, I want to know his doctor if I ever tear my Achilles. Fair, <laughs> you know. I need. I feel like I'm at the age where I'm at high risk if I'm playing in a basketball league like I do. Um, that's that's something that lives in the back of my mind because that's just like a fluke. You can't really control it. You're just like it just pops. Out of the blue, so, but to be back, but that's one that's usually like nine months, you know, and for him to come back, It's kind of insane. This game though was about their defense. Uh, the defense was really giving Kyler Fitz, Aaron Donald was unblockable once again. I mean that's like just par for the course. But David Long pick six that was nail in the coffin. That was that was it. It was. The game was not, yeah. not going to be close so, well, after that.
0: I, Kyler just fleeing that thing. Some, a lot of tweets were, that looked a lot like Matt Stafford, whatever. But, like, that was... He
1: was. So, for Kyler Murray, for as good as he was this year, he came out and looked a little shell-shocked. Yeah. Like, he looked a little... He was hesitating, was not confident, did not like what he was seeing. And, again, a lot of that's because the receivers he's thrown to are not... It's not a talented group outside of when you lose DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah.
0: I don't know if you saw or were you watching the Manning cast. The Manning cast was kind of rough. I mean, watching that game in general, like, after the first quarter, was a little rough. But Russell Wilson comes on, I think, a little bit late in the game when they're down by, like, no, I 20. I actually turned
1: it off because I don't want to watch Russell Wilson. <laughs> but this was a classic broadcast.
0: Russell Wilson comment. It was what did he say? phenomenal. He said, So they're down, like, 20 with, like, six minutes to go. And okay. he says, if I was Kyler Murray right now – I fucking shit you not. you got to look up this clip. If I was Kyler Murray right now, I'd be going up and down the sideline telling my guys that we got this. And, Ky- and then they panned Kyler Murray. And he's just like in the state of just he's just sitting on one it's funny to put the juxtaposition versus kyler and like him like russell wilson yeah. saying that two that's such a russell wilson thing to say like the game is over the yeah. game has been over and russell wilson his corny ass in my opinion would be up and down yeah. the sideline telling him no don't worry guys we got like that stuff to me transparency is so much more important in my opinion more coveted than corniness like you need to be transparent with the people that you're trying to lead if you're going to lead People through thick and thin. You need to be able to tell them when it's thick and when it's thin. (laughs) You need to be able to say, "Hey, we're we got our ass beat right now." Okay, and no one wants to hear with four minutes left in the game that we're going to come back, win twenty-eight points. Like no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that shit. Like I get it if it was a ten-point game or a fourteen-point game, but that, in my opinion, is not. In my opinion, would not fire me up. It wouldn't fire me up.
1: Okay, so. I agree. It, it doesn't like it, and it falls on deaf ears. And that's a big part part of the reason of all you the come smoke off like around asshole. The whole Seahawks organization with the Legion of Boom, not getting along with him, and all that. But the thing about I've gone back and forth on this, but I truly believe that Russell believes it at this point. You're like that. He I agree has no, gone I agree. so deep down that rabbit hole in his own mind of of winning at all costs, being you know a leader at all costs. That like this is it's he actually thinks that when they're down 28 in the fourth quarter that they're going to win and it comes off as inauthentic cuz he doesn't have the personality to like get by on it whereas like you know someone like Tom Brady could say that and you might believe him uh, but I, I don't think Russ is like i don't think he's acting i, I just think he is it's genuine, too consistent genuinely to ungenuine person <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> no i think i think it's too consistent to be yeah. acting and i don't think he's intentionally being inauthentic i think that's a great point here's the thing though in my opinion and this is uneducated i've never met tom brady but in my opinion tom brady in that game is not saying shit yeah, he's pissed that's
1: true. he's pissed yeah that, that's like you that would be authentic at that point to be like we've we, we blew this shit yes let's make up for it that's authentic yes not we got this nothing's wrong like that
0: am I, I don't know any either way i thought i thought you'd appreciate that because i know you hate russell wilson and i don't his, hate russell i'm just wilson. kidding i'm just kidding
1: i just recognize that Rams Dude's forward. <laughs>
0: Rams forward. We don't want to preview too much of the podcast. Oh, to...
1: wait. We got to talk about this one tweet, though, from Josina Anderson about this oh, game. Oh, yeah. I like that tweet. It was. Here's what it said. A Cardinal source told me before the game their winning formula is to have 25-plus rushes from their running backs in the game and no turnovers in a matchup. They emphasized, if we do that, the Rams have no chance. 5-0 and this season when you combine those metrics. It's like those are just... Now, the, the turnovers part, sure. That's predictive. Turnovers. But it's lead, also you, less... But it's also fluky. Yeah. That is something that you get... Everyone, like... Yes, you emphasize turnovers as a team because everyone emphasizes turnover team because they're valuable. But there's no there's no secret formula to creating turnovers besides talent, besides having players. Like, you know, Trayvon Diggs is Marcus Pierce of the world. Guys who themselves can generate that. It's kind of like tackling everyone emphasizes tackling but some guys are good at it some guys have the skills to do it other guys don't and so it's not like one of those things where you can all of a sudden just do it in the game we just let's just get a turnover off stafford why don't you think about doing that this game it's like everyone's trying to do that sure and then the rushing part of it 25 plus rushes is just the same tired trope of You know, every time he goes for 100 yards, the Cowboys win. Every time Zeke Kelly goes for 100 yards, the Cowboys win. That stuff is just a descriptive stat of that's what happens when you're ahead in games. You start to run more than a predictive stat in terms of if you just ran the ball 25 times and decided not to drop back to pass ever, you would get your ass blown out if you ran the first 25 plays of the game.
0: I'm refraining from getting really upset. No, they did get their ass blown out anyway, so I I guess I can't really talk. I'm refraining from getting really upset. Because I don't how ha- I don't understand how the attempts, the rush attempts, tweet conversation topic mm-hmm. continues to be discussed or continues to be given relevance. Yeah. Show me one team that would go out and only call twenty five runs. Like just like I, I just like yeah. just go if, if that's the formula, call twenty five runs and don't exactly. fumble the ball. Like like, they, like you're not going to do that though. Their first few plays were passes. Like if that was their call, why would they throw the ball early? Like, I don't understand. Like, the 25 runs thing, the 30 runs thing, when when they run the ball 20 times or when Derrick Henry gets the ball this many times, or it's fucking stupid. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. It is it is obviously a descriptive stat of where if you can get a lead and you can pound the ball and, and, and control the clock after having a lead, you're going to win more football games because you're in the lead. But, like, no team in the NFL. You can set the number at any number, 15, 20, 25. If you get to this number, you win. More consistently would ever just run the ball every single, every single play until they get to that number they just wouldn't because it 's a more ineffective play it's a sim- I, I remember talking to Chris Collinsworth in the office and when we were talking you know running backs don 't matter shit and he 's always interested in that and doesn 't like often discuss like running back value on the broadcast, but his thing is is when he 's talking to other commentators or other people in his circles and they, they know that PFF is kind of in front, was in front of or whatever the hell on this running backs don 't matter movement whatever running the football is ineffective he 's like the simplest thing I would explain to people is that Yards per carry is always less than yards per attempt, <laughs> and like that, like that's the bottom line in some ways, right? We're like, yeah. you—if you run the ball every play, it's literally going to get you fewer yards than throwing the ball every play. And he's like, that's the one stat that he leans on, and it's like sometimes you do have to simplify it that much. Like, you, throwing the ball is objectively more effective in yards, and the counter to that is the turnover rate increase, and that's that is baked into EPA per play, which is objectively harder to understand but does factor in turnover probability in these things and you can see clearly that epa per play on average on throwing the ball is better than running the ball that's why it's less than effective that's why you don't run the ball 25 times to start games i don't understand how these tropes like continue like i don't like it, it just needs to stop all right oh, yeah. power ranking gms power ranking gms and then we'll get into the mock drafts and go from there the only GM spots open right now, Steve Kimes, since 1999, he'll still be there, are Bears, Raiders, Giants, Vikings. And you have your power rankings listed here in that order. Bears, number one with the opening there. Raiders at number two with Mike Mayock officially out. Dave Gettleman, quote-unquote, retiring. They're at number three. And then the Vikings there at number four. Now, my, dis- my, I have no qualms with Bears, Raiders. The reason Bears number one, I'm just going to kind of predict your analysis. They have Justin Fields. They have Justin Fields, they have a quarterback, a promising prospect, and there's opportunity to develop him and build around him with a clean slate. Raiders number two, because they're not nearly as bad as the Giants and Vikings situations at quarterback. Regardless of whether or not you like Derek Carr or don't, he's still an asset, right? Like you could trade Derek Carr for a first rounder and change if you want to go that direction, or you can continue to build around Derek Carr if you feel like he's going to be that key piece that moves you forward. My My argument is that I think the Vikings should be ahead of the Giants. And here's my reason why. One, Daniel Jones stinks, like, does not have the trade value of a Derek Carr, and he has not developed and he's not played well. You have a question mark, if not a sad face at quarterback to use an emoji. And two, I just don't know. This Giants team is bottom five in cap space in 2022, they have a lot of bad contracts. Like, you'd have to go in and really reset to put this Giants team back on track to winning a Super Bowl. And yeah, they had the number five and the number seven overall pick. I think that's a reason why you start to debate them ahead of the Vikings. But I think the current state of the roster and the quarterback question marks that they have, I'd rather have Minnesota, who I feel is in a much better position to compete in the playoffs and potentially go to a Super Bowl now. But I agree that maybe their long-term prospects aren't as good as the Giants if they do reset.
1: See, for me, the Giants are in a cap situation that's bad right now, but they have very easy avenues to relief. They have building blocks on rookie deals a few more in my opinion than the vikings have vikings you got Justin jefferson you got christian Darisaw to hang your hat on that's it now you now you can get picks back via trading kirk cousins and i would go out i would guess that this offseason they will be trading kirk cousins Uh, if i had i think they will be trading kirk cousins because this is his last year of his deal in 2022 and if you keep him there He's just gonna hold. Uh, he's just gonna hold you hostage. That's like he's just gonna hold you out for the most money. Literally, he's done it twice already. So, don't. That, that's my guess of what so you're gonna have to na- navigate that situation. Which, when that's the case, also when there's only one year left, I'm not sure how much you're gonna get back in terms of like total value back. You know, you can trade Carson Wentz for what you got because he's got four years left. That's only gonna cost the Colts less than thirty million dollars if he turned out to be good. So that would have been a steal if Carson Wentz looks like an MVP again. Kirk Cousins, if he looks like this, again, you're paying him $45 million this upcoming year and then $40 million for the foreseeable future after that. Like, you're not getting any discount on Kirk Cousins. So I'm not sure what they get back from in a trade. The Giants, though, cut a lot of cap space, shed a lot. You're in a situation where you have one year of Daniel Jones, but you're not tied to him as a GM Um, and his future. If he stinks, they're not going to hold that against you. So that gives you some sort of wiggle room in terms of finding your own quarterback, which you have the fifth and seventh overall picks ready to find your own. So i think this just gives you a little more to work with i'm not we're we're splitting hairs though these aren't great openings either of them i'm shit any of these four are all have their sort of this isn't like a blank canvas like you're walking in with the jets a couple years ago with the jaguars last year where it's like if you are a gm and you get one of these spots you pretty much have carte blanche on how you want to run it the bears raiders giants and vikings are all like there are issues that need to be navigated here um from one avenue or another. But I think, to me, the Bears have that rookie deal quarterback, some other rookie deal talent, and will be having some cap space coming up soon. And at least, like, you got a piece in Khalil Mack who's at least an impact player um, in a valuable position that you can count on for a couple more years. So th- these ones are all really, like, up in the air uh, in terms of the quality of any of these GM, GM job openings.
0: It is absolutely absurd that Kirk Cousins contract, his cap hit this year in the last year of his deal is 45 mil. That is insane. $45 million. The Vikings will have to pay Kirk Cousins this upcoming season. And I want to compare it to the situation with Raiders where Derek Carr is also in the last year of his deal, but it's a $20 million deal, literally half less than half of what Kirk Cousins is. And this isn't going to happen obviously, but they could cut him with no cap. Say he was like the worst quarterback in the NFL. They can't cut Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. They literally can't. If they do, they'd, they just spend all that money into oblivion. So both those situations I think are interesting. The Raiders and uh, Raiders and Vikings where they have quarterbacks that are veteran quarterbacks that have consistently, consistently competed in this. Again, I always bring it up like this 10 to 14 range, right? Where they're in that 10 to 14 range among starting quarterbacks, but have yet to get over the hump and be these quarterbacks that elevate the supporting cast. Do you commit to them on these next contracts? Like if you go, in, you go into Minnesota and you pay Kirk Cousins $45 million this year and then elect to, Sign him to another deal, like you say, he's gonna hold you hostage. And I think Derek Carr would be in a similar boat. Like if you let Derek Carr play out the last season of his contract in Las Vegas and he plays even at the level he played this year, which was that 10 to 14 range, he's gonna be asking for 35 million plus. Like just a fact. Like he's going to be asking for that much money in the NFL. So the GMs that do come in, I think the number one questions we were talking a little bit about, like what would be your interview question if you're interviewing a GM? Mm -hmm. First thing is like, what the fuck do we do at quarterback? You know, and if you, I would, I would make a lot of my decisions based on the actual detailed plan that one of these GMs has, and like addressing the quarterback position. So, Raiders and Vikings have monster question marks. I agree that the Giants, and maybe I'll adjust my rankings to meet yours because they aren't pot committed. You know, 20 millions of dollars committed to Daniel Jones. Um, Maybe they are the third ranked team, but it's still an interesting situation. All those teams need some resets at one position or another. Before we get into the mock draft here, I'm going to tell you who the leading sponsor, the presenting sponsor is of the Tailgate Podcast. It's Manscaped. Here's the 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. You can't go wrong to complete the set. We threw in the shed travel bag and the anti-chafing boxer briefs as a free gift. To keep all goodies stored comfortably. Whether your resolution is to work out more or to travel new places, be sure to travel with Manscaped for our exclusive offer. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with Manscaped at manscaped.com and code PFF. It's new year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. My mock, my second mock of the the season, of the year, of the calendar year. First mock of the off season. I want to go through every pick discuss this in detail with the picks that I feel like have riled up the people the most in the intro though I thought it was a spicy way to do the intro I outlined by position where players went so I had six edges six corners and six wide receivers all go in the first round you can kind of see this on the screen here if you're watching on YouTube five offensive tackles four quarterbacks those are the obviously the top of the position also those are Highly correlated with positional value. After that, only two linebackers, one safety, one interior offensive lineman, and one defensive interior. Just to kind of give you, just shed some light on how I viewed this class and how people are going. I think the edge class is obviously very talented. At one, went Aiden Hutchinson to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think we've had this conversation a ton. We are team Aiden Hutchinson over Kayvon Thibodeau, at least right now. Then at two, regardless, had them going Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon, the Detroit Lions. And then at three, this is probably the most chalky mock, right? The most chalky mock right now for the first three picks is either Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, one and two, and then Evan Neal going to the Houston Texans at three. I think we're going to consistently see that. I did want to mention that the line has moved so much on Evan Neal going number one overall. He was plus 900 to go number one overall before week 18, and now plus 275 to go number one overall. So I do think that there is going to be a lot of discussion, especially after this freak show goes to the combine and blows it up, for the Jacksonville Jaguars to not go edge, to not go Hutchinson or Thibodeau and actually grab Evan Neal, the offensive tackle. I didn't have that selection here in this mock draft. I don't think a lot of mock drafts have that right now, but don't be surprised in my opinion if Evan Neal does go first overall because this guy is a rare breed and it does fill a pretty decent need for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I guess what's your reaction to that? Do you think you'll see more mocks like that too?
1: Well, the odds wise, a portion of that was that if Detroit ends up with the number one overall pick, they were not selecting Evan Neal. Yeah, like flat out would not. That's a good point. Like that was still up in the air. That was still a possibility until obviously after the season ended. So I think that's why you see the odds decreasing because the Jaguars, even though I don't think they'll go tackle, you got you drafted tackle in top fifty picks last year, Um, and you have another top fifty pick at the right side, and offensive tackle going into year four to where you have similar grades on guys. You get guy who can see the football field and that would be an edge rusher overall OT.
0: Another chalky selection that we went into detail on a previous podcast that we're going to consistently mock, I assume, is the Jets grabbing Derek Stingley at number four overall. Jets fans don't want a cornerback. I get that. I, I think he will be the best player available at this spot. Now that could change with All-Star Bowls, Combine, Pro Days, these different things, his injury status, all that. But for right now, I have Derek's going to go in the Jets. Where I first want to really layer in some analysis is the five through six. I have the Giants at five, taking Ikea Aquanu, the NC State offensive tackle, also friend of the show. At six, I have the Carolina Panthers grabbing what some are calling a generational safety prospect in Kyle Hamilton at six. And then I have the Giants with their seventh round, or the, not seventh round, but their number seven overall pick, grabbing my guy, George Karloftis of Purdue. Now, I have been on this podcast and talked a ton about if the Giants like a quarterback in this class, they should take one. In this situation, I don't have them liking a quarterback over Daniel Jones and opting to fill the trenches. And honestly, like I said, it all depends on your evaluation of this class. If you think Sam Howell is better than Daniel Jones and has better prospects to become good, you probably take him at one of these spots. If not, I think filling the trenches makes the most sense. Getting Ike Ikuanu, who can play guard or tackle, and then George Karloftis, who I think is deserving of a top 10 pick. I like these I like these two picks a lot. I think this could ultimately be what happens, too. Maybe you swap out an Aquanu for a Charles Cross of Mississippi State, but I think the trenches is where they go if they don't like this quarterback class.
1: Yeah, let's say the Giants really aren't in a position to be passing up talent. Like The Giants' fifth and seventh picks are going to be – that's like a pure – you're in a position as a franchise. That is a pure grade – how how highly did you grade XYZ player? If that XYZ player plays cornerback, you draft that guy. If that XYZ player plays safety, you draft that guy. He plays OT. Doesn't matter. Wherever he plays, whoever you have the highest grade on, you're taking it with those two picks because there's no real position on the roster where a guy's not going to see the football field. And you're not in a position, again, as a franchise, to where it's like, no, we need this. It's like you got a lot of fucking needs. <laughs> you know? Like that's why you went. That's why you got a top five pick. Okay. So that's how I feel about the Giants' picks. And then the Panthers, number six. Panthers
0: uh, fans hate this pick. They do not want a safety. They do not want Kyle Hamilton here. They don't, from the mentions I've had on Twitter.
1: Understandable. Safety at six is high. I'll just say he's, diff- you know, he's different. He, he can be more than a safety. And obviously with the Panthers, the way they've set up that defense, like it's a very flexible defense, and this guy brings you flexibility. And what he can do. He can play slot quarterback. He can play linebacker. He can play safety. Just very good at covering. NFL players so uh, yeah I, I also think so, so for the Giants last few
0: comments time. there not only do they have to get talent but they have to get talent at valuable positions the two highest paid positions in the NFL after quarterback are edge and offensive tackle it's a good way to get there with a Quanu or Charles Cross and then obviously grabbing Carl Loftus the other thing I'll mention with the Panthers is that this is another spot where if they like the quarterback class they should take one yeah if they like a Corral or Howell or Willis or Ritter or a Pickett take them like don't don't improve elsewhere Take them and improve at the most important position in football. I think a lot of assumptions have to be ba- have to be baked in on, do you like this quarterback class over your current selections? And do you like them over some of like, the blue chip talent that mm-hmm. could be available in the first, I'd say, eight picks, right? Am I wrong to think about the class like that? First eight picks are probably where a lot of this blue chip non-quarterback talent will be. After that, I mean, comparing some of the quarterbacks to – the type of non-quarterback talent you can get. I just feel like at that point, if you do have a need at quarterback, it starts to get easier to make that decision. In the first eight picks, you're going to be passing on some really talented non-quarterbacks. Whereas after the first eight picks, yeah. it's like, okay, if you have a quarterback need and you like one of these guys, you should probably swing that bat. Honestly, if I had to cut
1: off where the blue chip demarcation is in this class, like guys I feel like I'd be floored if they got um, they busted. If they weren't like, you know, pro bowl caliber players sooner rather than later. Um, I think there'd be like four in this class. So obviously that just giants at five delays in with that one, but like Aiden Hutchinson, Kavon on Thibodeau, Kyle Hamilton, Derek stingley That's it to me. Those are the top four players in the PFF draft board. After that, I love Evan Neal, but he's not prospect wise. He's not Penny Sewell. He's not, I would even put like Tristan worse, better than him. A couple years back, uh, so he's five on the PFF board, even going down to Karloftis. I'm not putting him in that blue chip category. I, Tyler Lindebaum is for a, a center, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so I guess that's a little different. But so maybe the, maybe those five, then. Maybe I'll throw Tyler Lindebaum in there as a blue chip prospect that, like, there's five in this class.
0: Because I think that's another important part of the conversation, right? Like, if you're going to go non-quarterback in the top 10 with an obvious need, an obvious need quarterback, which I think you could say that for the Carolina Panthers. You could potentially say that for the New York Giants. You could say that for the Broncos at nine. You could say that football team at 11. If you're going to go non-quarterback, that guy better be blue chip. Because it's just not like, you know, tier two non-quarterback talent is not worth the potential upgrade you could have if one of these quarterbacks does pan out Mm -hmm. according to or above expectation. Moving forward beyond these picks I want to read them but spend some time on the Broncos the first quarterback pick that comes off the board at eight I have Charles Cross of Mississippi State going to the Falcons I know they've made investments in Caleb McGarry Jake Matthews but I think they have to get better at offensive tackle could be an opportunity to move on for Caleb McGarry and I think Charles Cross is a top 10 player I think Charles Cross will ultimately go in the top 10 Falcons could be a spot for him then first quarterback off the board PFS new QB1 Sam Howell are you on board I think I'm on board are you I think, I think I'm think i on board with Sam Howell, though I still think that there needs to be more tape ground. But Sam Howell of UNC, he's the first quarterback off the board. And in my opinion, like I said, at nine, Broncos, if they don't make an upgrade for Rodgers or swing the bat for Russell Wilson, they don't make upgrades elsewhere. Kirk Cousins. Her Cousins, potentially. They need to take their favorite quarterback at this spot. They have to. You go into next year with the current situation they have and as talented of a roster as they have, I think it would yeah. be malpractice.
1: Yeah. I mean, they have to... I have some regrets of last year, even though Patrick Tarrant turned out great, you you could be looking at, I mean, so they have a lot of cap space, 47.6 million as it stands right now in 2022 because they have drafted well. Like they have young players who are talented and filled out that roster to a degree to where quarterback is the missing piece. If they can find one now, that's it. Can they find one? and? With that much cap space, I am inclined to say they're probably going to do it via trade. They're going to be desperate to do it via trade because that's obviously when you can fit a guy under your cap. You, you go ahead and do it. Sure, you know, sure thing is always better than the risk. Even if if they did, you know, use that nine overall pick on a Sam Howell, Andy hits, and he turns out to be this guy. You're fuck, You're looking at a real Super Bowl window, even in the division they're in.
0: At 10, I have the New York Jets going Drake London, who I think is my is trending to be my new wide receiver one. I'm a big fan of Drake London. Big fan of Drake London. Um, I think Drake London compared to Jameson Williams, especially with the injury, maybe you can you know, that helps you split some of these hairs, right? I like his size. I think he's been one of my favorites to study in this draft class. I remember I tweeted out the tweet to save That's the likes on. What did I say? Should be in the wide receiver one conversation. But I also think for the Jets, I think it's a great get, right? I think they need, in mm-hmm. addition to Elijah Moore, to fit this offense with someone in who can be a 10, 12, 15-target type of receiver for Zach Wilson. I think Drake London fits that. I think that's one of my favorite picks of the top 10 from a fit and value perspective.
1: Yeah, with Zach Wilson, how he plays, that would. They, they had no one, not even close to what Drake London brings to the table.
0: <laughs> uh, at 11, Matt Corral goes to the Washington football team. I think you're consistently going to see a quarterback mock to them at 11 because i do think this is where again like i think this has got to be so so much of the conversation in this draft class that's beyond the lazy analysis in my opinion at this point is that the quarterback class isn't good i've seen that from everyone okay let's okay let's let's peel back a second layer to that when does it start to get good and in my opinion it is in this like. Starting at like pick eight, nine, or ten. Like that's when it starts to get, okay, wait a second. These guys are better than an Ahmad Garner or a Trent McDuffie or Kyrie Elam, Nikobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, these guys at other positions that maybe aren't in this tier of talent. It does make more sense to take a flyer on a quarterback when I have such an obvious need there.
1: Yeah, it's again, comes down to Eval, but I, I will just say, like kind of what I said about the top end of this class. You're not splitting between, you know, Matt Corral or chase young like you were a couple of years ago exactly you know like at the number two overall pick when he pass on to when he passed on herbert you're splitting between matt corral or a guy who like himself might not make an impact on your football
0: that's what more people need to understand right like this yeah. take or on the quarterback class isn't that good it's okay like how good is the second or third corner off the board yeah. or how good is the second or third receiver off the board because that's when this class starts to get interesting because mm-hmm. you can have The QB one, QB two, QB three in this class, in that same tier, you're gonna get edge three, edge four, offensive tackle four, offensive tackle five. We need to bake in that, you know. And I think the other part of it too is that so many people think that if you take a quarterback in the first round, regardless of where you take him, you're committing four or five years and setting the franchise back. When is the last quarterback that was taken that like obviously set the franchise back? Like obviously. Okay, yeah, Trubisky was a great one, but they traded up from three to two to get him. Yeah. You know, like they, and he played okay as a rookie, right? Where they thought he was so good. I think Daniel Jones is a good example, but he was dramatically overdrafted. Some people had him valued as a third round pick and they picked him at six overall. Other examples where it hasn't happened, Josh Rosen for the Arizona Cardinals, where so they immediately go for Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, you have these examples where if you cut bait on a bad selection and in the following draft class or in that opportunity to get an upgrade QB, it isn't a four or five year mistake. Yeah. I think that's the bigger thing here.
1: And I think it's just because when you draft that quarterback, it gets more press. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest that's the biggest reason.
1: Dwayne Haskins goes fifteenth. Plays like shake gets cut year two. That like that that's a stain on the GM's resume. Steve Keim drafts David Collins. doesn't even start as a rookie. It's like no, no, one, even no exactly. one even knows. No one even knows.
0: There are probably people who are Arizona Cardinals fans that feel like that pick has been good. Yeah. Whereas, whereas.
1: And I, again, like, not to shit on Collins, there's probably better examples could have used, but it's like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 picks. Those guys flush out of the league without a whimper a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot more than you'd expect. Like the, 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 All these guys we are talking about pre draft, but the learning curve is big and not everyone makes it. A vast majority do not. And so. When that's going to be the case, when that's likely the case, like I said, when you're not drafting those top, top guys, why not quarterback position? Like, mm-hmm. shit, like 2017, 10th overall pick, 12th overall pick, Mahomes, Sean Watson, why not at that point? Because when you hit, top end is so much more valuable.
0: And there are quarterback prospects in this class, right? Everyone says it's a bad class, that have tools, right? That have traits, that have physical attributes that you want to chase. Whereas... The problems are more that they haven't either played quarterback all that well, don't have the experience, whatever. There's other issues outside of physical attributes and tools. You could see some of the high end on their tape. So I do think that we have to move past that the quarterback class is bad. And when we start picking in the 8 to 16 or 8 to 20 range, start to highly consider this quarterback class among teams that need quarterback. And, um, I mean, I, I just think there are too many examples. And, like, you have to go into it with this, with this expectation as ownership. This is not a four-year decision. This is a, if he starts to look good and even shows Jalen Hurts levels of success early on in his career, we're willing to commit to him for another year. But this is not a four year, five year, make him the face of the franchise decision when we're selecting him in this 8 to 16, 8 to 20 range. Because guess what? I have the next pick after Corral at 11. You have a Mod Garner for the Minnesota Vikings at 12. That is not a four year, five year mistake, right? Like if Mod Garner doesn't play well, you move on from him, just like the Vikings already did with Jeff Gladney. Like, like you already, you do that so quickly um, already with other picks in the first round. But anyway, <laughs> let's just keep moving forward. I don't want to harp on this one too much. I just think I'm just tired of hearing the quarterback class isn't good. Like why are we going quarterback? The quarterback class isn't good. It starts to get good in this 8 to 20 range. I swear to God. It starts to get to good. It maybe isn't like number one, <laughs> the number The value three, number proposition
1: starts to yes. tip towards
0: QB. Exactly, exactly. All right. Next pick I want to focus on is actually a few ways down. I think the rest of these picks are a little bit chalky, but I still will read them through. 12, Minnesota Vikings grab corner. Ahmad Gardner, who you've moved up your board since what was an impressive Alabama game. Cleveland Browns grab Garrett Wilson. I know a lot of Cleveland Browns fans from my mentions love that selection. They want to get better at receiver. Baltimore Ravens, cornerback Trent McDuffie of Washington. If you haven't watched McDuffie's tape, small corner, but man, physical dude. Also really athletic. Short, not small. Yeah, short not small, excuse me, Five 5'11", 195. And Philadelphia Eagles, another corner comes off the board. This is where just a sea of corners come off. Ahmad Garner, McDuffie, Elam to the Philadelphia Eagles at 15. And then at 16, that's where the Eagles are picking right now, 15 and 16, and I think they have another pick down the road. I I give them to the Kobe Dean at linebacker, which this is where I start to feel really comfortable taking linebacker off the board at 16, 17 with the class. And at 17, this is the pick I wanted to focus on. Chargers grab Devin Lloyd. Utah linebacker. So much of draft Twitter right now or Chargers Twitter market opinion is that the Chargers should lock into Jordan Davis to help that run game, to help that front seven. I am of the opinion that either Dean or Lloyd is a bigger improvement for that rushing attack and a bigger upgrade at linebacker than what Davis would be, and especially with how athletic and how impressive Lloyd and Dean have been in coverage as well and affecting the passing game, the blitzer, et cetera. So I'm of the opinion, I would go Dean or Lloyd over Davis at 17, but I know that I'm, I'm not, I'm I'm probably near alone in that opinion compared to some of the other boards I've seen.
1: Yeah. And not only I, I I agree, I, at 17, where they're at, that's just it's too rich for me for a DT. When we've said not a lot of rookie DTs come in and, are studs and run defense it's just it's a physically demanding position i get jordan davis a little bit different dude physically but it's physically and also technically demanding go sign go sign akeem hicks in free agency you know go 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 sign two guys at dt in free agency like there are guys that can be upgrades right away go sign dj jones for the 49ers free agency like go invest there knowing giving you a little bit of a floor and then you can take maybe a bigger swing. You're in 17th overall pick. You can get like wide receiver two in this class, possibly. You can't, You tell me that's not something you're interested in, pairing with Justin Herbert, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams pairing there, how sick that would be, as opposed to just relying on one guy to shore up your run defense. I, I agree with you there that the Jordan Davis sort of pairing, it's, it's easy, it's obvious, but I'm – I'm, if I'm the GM there, I'm spending money at that position in free agency to start at the very least.
0: And now there's argument outside of linebacker, right? Like I think there's opportunity at receiver if you want to go that direction for the Chargers. But I think if you're going to like you're locking in and say we have to improve our run defense, I think the linebacker position over Jordan Davis is where I'd lean um, if you're spending a premium pick there, number 17 overall, number 18, Saints. I kind of love this pick, dude. I kind of this is one of my favorite picks of the mock. Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati at 18, the Saints again. You know, you're you moving him up on the board. You know, I don't think he's near, anywhere near 18 on PFF's draft board. You're moving him up because of the position he plays. You're moving him up because of the position he plays. I think fitting him in there is so much better than the Saints going into next year with a combination of Winston, Simeon, and Hill again. Like Desmond Ritter with, with Sean Payton, I think, puts them in a really yeah. good position to get cheaper at the most expensive position in football, again, for a roster that is in desperate need of cap relief. That has so much talent on that roster that they need to get cheaper at quarterback. Like they, they're Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchick, Teron Armstead, you know, Michael Thomas, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Like all these guys are going to have to get paid. This roster is fucking good. Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, go get cheap at quarterback. And I think at eighteen, the value proposition for Desmond Ritter, if he's available, I, I really like this fit.
1: Yeah, I think they will be in the quarterback market for all the reasons you just outlined, and it'll be very interesting to see because we've really. I mean, in the Sean Payton era, it'll be interesting to see like what he covets because they drafted who was the, the quarterback out of Colorado State? They drafted in the third round a few years ago, maybe like 2015, that was, who was just awful. What was it, Grayson? Grayson something? I, I'm an idiot. Um, and then they draft Ian Buck in the fourth. So he has a weird track record of what he covets, I'll just say, at the quarterback <laughs> position that I kind of want to see when he gets his kind of pick here in the first round. I do want to see the Saints draft one to kind of just know. Or find out what they're in the market for.
0: They're also they're also obviously a prime trade up candidate because he loves to trade. Our guy, yeah. our guy loves to trade up. Mickey they Lewis. could be one of those guys that maybe trades up for a Howell or a, or, a, or a Corral. I think it's too early to say which quarterbacks teams will be trading up for, but I would not be surprised if they try and move up to go get their guy, right? Garrett so,
1: Grayson. That's it. That's it. Here we go. Where we go. Colorado State. Did go to Colorado State. Wow, what a played pull. one game in his career.
0: All right, 19th overall pick, I have the Philadelphia Eagles going receiver. Jameson Williams, Alabama receiver that obviously suffered an injury in the George game. I feel that this is where it starts to get comfortable taking him even with that injury. I think a lot has to be t- and we have to see a lot with the you know the surgery and when he's expected to come back before you like you really make that decision. Like if you expect him to be back week 10 of the next year and he's almost on the shelf for his entire rookie season, maybe you do scoot him back a bit beyond the 19th pick. But I do think this is where I start. And the Philadelphia Eagles, in my opinion, man, I know I had them going defense, I think, with both of their first few picks, mm. Nicobe Dean and Kyrie Elam. But going receiver here, if you're not going to get in on this quarterback class, and I already have Howell, Howell, Corral, and Ritter off the board, maybe you go pick it here. But I, I ended up going Williams and then obviously now building around Jalen Hurts.
1: Yeah, Jameson Williams is sort of – we got time to discuss or to – to find out how serious that injury is going to be. Four months post-surgery is is enough to where you kind of know where that guy's going to be in his rehab heading into next season. So that obviously is a TBD. But should he get a clean bill of health at draft time? Yeah, 19. I'd even go higher than 19 if I really wanted a receiver in this class. I'd be willing to take him top 15 somewhere.
0: Top 15 for Jameson Williams. I like that. Maybe I thought I was maybe low on him. 20, this is probably the most consistently mocked thing in – all mock drafts right now is the Pittsburgh quarterback going to Pittsburgh, especially after we know Big fans so on his way out for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I have them going there at twenty. <clears throat> New England Patriots go receiver Traylon Burks. Some Patriots fans say Patriots don't know how to handle bigger receivers. I hate this pick. Like Patriots just like can't handle Traylon Burks. I like Traylon Burks to New England Patriots. Raiders grab a receiver as well, Chris Olave. Cardinals. I want to have a conversation, Mike. This is the earliest, I think, going through this mock draft, I love Tinder Lunderbaum. I know how much you love him as well. I know he's this blue-chip player. The Cardinals, even with Rodney Hudson, I know, but he's getting a little bit older. There's probably an opportunity to start to move on from him as you move forward. This is the first part of the draft where I felt comfortable putting him off the board, only, exclusively, for positional value. Right? knowing that mm-hmm. these other, you know, other picks ahead of him, I'd rather be taking more premium positions. I mean, I, hell, I only have one defensive tackle and one interior offensive lineman in my first round, and it's because of the positional value component. Am I crazy to think Tyler Linderbaum should start to come off the board in the 20 range, or is he so much better beyond his positional value that he should be considered this top 15, top 10 type of player?
1: I could see if you're Baltimore at 14, taking Tyler Linderbaum. I could see... Jets at ten, possibly taking Tyler Linderbaum. Not if you have like any sort of competent center, though. I'm not sure. I really would want to tell. like. It's not that massive an upgrade. Like I said, positional value, and especially like when you're a team that needs like the Jets and you need weapons. Like I think you want the weapons first versus the center. So, yeah, I don't think it's crazy to say you would you don't value him that highly. That's like the running back conversation of. Yeah, guys, we need recognize the guy's good, but also that, like, you're passing on a higher ceiling by taking him still.
0: Yeah. Number 24, Dallas Cowboys grab another corner. Andrew Booth, Clemson, Cincinnati Bengals. to tackle that I do think that only slips into the first round, especially after an impressive senior Bowl, Bernard Raymond of Central Michigan. 26, Dolphins grab off to tackle Trevor Penning, another guy that with the All-Star Bowl tour, they should be moving up boards. Buffalo Bills. This is the earliest I liked Jordan Davis as a pick. And in my last mock draft, I didn't have him in the first round. and I was getting clown-meaved into oblivion. Mm -hmm. But Buffalo Bills taking Davis, I think, makes a lot of sense. If he's available at 27, I almost really like the value, right? Like Jordan Davis, I know won't be a, a huge factor as a pass rusher. There is some concern about how many snaps can he play in a single season. But putting him in this defense that's already high performing, that's already, you know, first in the NFL and EPA per play allowed, and having him on the interior with the investments they've made along the edge, and Gregory Rousseau, AJ Epinesa having these guys, I think Davis to Buffalo at twenty seven is one of my favorite, in addition to the Ritter to the Saints picks, uh, one of my favorite picks in this mob.
1: They'd be building an all time off the bus D line today Yes, that's what I'm saying. You know, with him, Gregory Rousseau
0: Epinesa Ed AJ Oliver. AJ Epinesa
1: and Oliver. <laughs> Carlos Basham. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, those are that's that's like uh it's a basketball team hopping off.
0: Plus with as much too high as they want to play and as much too yeah. high as everyone wants to play in the NFL these days, getting guys that can two cap two gap down low is awesome. And they already have depth there, like Harrison Phillips, Starla Tulile, Ed Oliver, you bring in this guy. I mean, they've they, they have taken a we're gonna send the kitchen sink approach. At drafting hmm. defensive linemen. I mean, they drafted Rousseau and Boogie Basham in the first and second round. At Vanessa was a second round pick. At Oliver was a first round pick. They still have Jerry Hughes. Like, I think this is one I'm going to consistently mock, man. Even though some Bills fans are like, we don't need another defensive lineman. We don't need another defensive lineman. I like continuing to invest there. And I think Davis, the value starts to make sense at 27. After that, cheat or I have this. This one, no one, no one actually caught this. But I had the Lions grabbing Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. Am I insane to pair the Michigan duo back at in Detroit? My, my thought there is like, yeah, double dipping at edge. Maybe you don't have to, I don't need to keep on going on my rant that it's a premium position. It makes a lot of money, but like Trey Flowers probably isn't coming back next year. And when you look at the other pass rushing talent that they have, they've invested a third round pick in Julian Aquara. Charles Harris was signed off the, you know, they have Austin Bryant, Curtis Bolton. Like there is not a lot of edge pass rushing talent on this football team. Why not? If given the opportunity no job of falls disag- this fall.
1: I disagree that there's not a lot of edge rushing talent on that football team. I mean, obviously I think they're gonna cut Trey Flowers, but you have the Aquara brothers and likely inside path to re-signing Charles Harris.
0: You like that? You like that trio?
1: I mean, he's not gonna see the field. Like Julian Aquara looked good this year. Obviously, Romeo Aquara looked good the last year and a half before he got hurt this year, so I, I don't, that's just too many. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't, I don't see guys seeing, you're, you're putting good players on the bench at that point.
0: Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. I kind of liked it, fair enough. Kansas City Chiefs edge Jermaine Johnson of Florida State. Got the Bucks taking cornerback Roger McCreary of Auburn at 30. Tennessee Titans' edge, MyJ Sanders was adamant about putting him in the first round. I'm excited about MyJ Sanders and his prospects. And at 32, I don't even love Jahan Dotson as a first round caliber player, but I think the Green Bay Packers have to do everything in their power to keep Aaron Rodgers. That includes mm-hmm. signing, bringing back Devontae Adams. That includes throwing the kitchen sink at continuing to add on offense. I think Dotson, I like him at the back end of the first.
1: They're not drafting a wide receiver, though.
0: Let's get real. Let's Let's get real. real. <sighs> Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just. They've, I'm not getting my hopes. This is the year I don't get my hopes up for it. I've gotten it. my hopes up the last two years for it. Been disappointed both times. I think I wanted T. Higgins two years ago was the name. And this past year, who did I want when they were on the clock? I can't even remember. But
0: Michael Pittman you wanted, I remember that. was that. two
1: years ago. But um, it's just they're not going to let me down again. Not going to
0: let him. Before I get into our new segments, delete the tweet and his mother isn't even that high on him. Couple proud sponsors of the Tailgate Podcast, DraftKings. We're we're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and DraftKings Sportsbook, as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with huge odds boosts for new customers. Counting down the Super Bowl for fifty-six, new customers can bet just fifty dollars, fifty-six to one odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get on the action in the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF, 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook. And official... Sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only new customers, only minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. One for customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem code 1-800-GAMBLER. You introduced these segments. Uh, You, you brought these segments to my attention. Please introduce them. And then let's get into these.
1: Yeah. Since obviously the regular season's over watch Wednesdays are a thing of the past. Don't have, you know, bus watches to inform upon each week. So this one's delete the tweet. Um, It's a a close corollary to the uh, Whiff Watch. But it is tweets from the past, draft takes from the past, and we're going to have one each week, that we wish we could delete. But we're not bitches, and we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I only delete tweets I make after I'm, like, hammered. Um, And they're obviously regrettable. Um, But these are ones that are draft takes we would like back. And I will start with mine that came from 2018. April sixteenth. In reply to John Ledyard, try to guess who I'm talking about with this one. Oh, it's up on the screen there. If you watch on YouTube, but don't look at the screen. Man, <laughs> watching his tape, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to like. Do you have any guess who that's from? Or do you? you see I already me? seen it. Ugh. So it's Darius Leonard. Darius right. Leonard, the now Colts linebacker. Um, yeah. So uh, hand, I will say this: I'll make a big excuse for myself. Big excuse, guy. I did not get all 22 of Darius Leonard. I had a few games of TV copy. So that's uh, just that's why. That's what I'm going to hang my hat on. But no, I just I didn't see a high-end athlete. And on his tape at South Carolina State, he just like he he didn't just looked like a safety playing linebacker. And that was shit, my shitty take on Darius Leonard, who then literally from day one comes in as one of the best linebackers in the NFL.
0: I think he was the highest-graded box player in the NFL this year. Yeah. any Of any player with snaps in the box, so you hate to see that. My delete tweet is probably worse. Uh, if you look on Twitter from PFF Austin Gale and type in Rager, I was a big Rager guy. I like Jalen Rager coming out of TCU. One of the tweets that I highlighted here was, Rager is one of several first-round receiver prospects in this class I like or I love New Orleans as a fit and him in the NFL. My NFL player comparison, I rocked up Ted Ginn Jr. with better ball skills. One, player comparisons where you add like that many fucking core you know, adjectives in addition, you look like an idiot. He's like Ted Ginn with this different and this different and this different. You look like a moron, like a literal moron. Two, there's so many regular tweets. So I'm like, this guy's going to be good. Yeah. And I was just a moron. I mean, he has not been good. He has just flat out not been good in the NFL. Struggled to create separation. And I think the first real time we should have dropped him down the board, Mike, and we should have had a conversation combine. about it. It's a combine. Yeah, Straight line speed was okay. Like, or solid. And they had a really good vertical. Yeah. Like, the explosiveness was there. But his short shuttle three cone was a disaster. I think he decided to not run one of them after running the other. Like, one, he ran a short shuttle and then didn't do a three cone or ran a three cone and didn't do a short shuttle because they were so fucking bad. And now... Some people at that time were comparing him to a tiny DK Metcalf. And that's kind of what he's been, right? Like, a t- he's a tiny DK Metcalf, so he doesn't, and he's not nearly. Which kind
1: of takes away all the good parts about DK Metcalf. Exactly. just <laughs> takes away all
0: the good parts about DK Metcalf. And people are going to yeah. maybe respond to this and say, like, oh, you're just going to base all your takes off the combine. Guess what? Guess what? I'm going to say it. Well, okay. Give me a go second. Ahead, here. Okay, go ahead. Guess what? In, an, in a league where the best athletes win, athleticism matters way more than you think. And some people want to say like underwear Olympics, oh, watch them on the field, blah, 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 blah. If you are you know, below 20th percentile in some of these things that have obvious, obvious correlations to NFL success, mm-hmm. it's a red flag. I don't care if it's underwear Olympics. I don't care about any of that. And that should have been a big enough red flag to at least reconsider like his first-round prospects. At least reconsider, right? Go back to the tape and see him run the route tree. Go back to the tape and see him run the digs and and these things that require stopping and slowing down. And if you do turn it back on, you do see so much of his success was running in a straight line.
1: I will say, I mean, and he is still an elite explosive athlete. He had a 42-inch vertical. Dumb. And absurd. Like an 11-7 broad. Like, he, he is that... But it was so weird that he shows up to the Combine and looked like he had put on like 10 pounds and like legitimately had from his listed weight at TCU. Like in his best season, he was listed at 190 at TCU. Comes to the Combine is 206 pounds and runs slower than expected, testing the three-cone shuttle worse than expected to where I would like to see that dude get back to like 185. Like, I mean, with the type of player he is, you want to shed all that weight to get as fast as humanly possible with the type of game he has. Obviously he has not done that is still kind of this like tweener of not fast enough to be a straight line, get open guy and not shifty enough to be a gadget player with the ball in your hands to where that just hasn't worked out for him. The NFL, (laughs) he has got to pick one.
0: I like that segment. I think we should continue to do that. Maybe bring in more of our own tweets. I think making it our own segment is good. Yes. I think the other one I was going to potentially, or you can do
1: it. You can do, if you want to send us your, tweets yeah your bad tweets that you've had in the past that's a good our one. listeners i think yeah. listeners
0: send in your bad tweets or comment delete the tweet on any of our tweets yes. if you feel like if they you, stink. If you see a please bad one. do one i will bring up and you don't have to put this on the do, screen do a hashtag screen. delete the tweet so we can find we can click on and find them last night when the cardinals had negative four yards i was trying to think of a joke okay and i tweeted out the saints have four more yards than the cardinals this postseason my thought process being the Saints just missed the playoffs in the NFC. I was trying to attack a fan base that narrowly missed it. That tweet is ass. That was one of the worst tweets I've ever sent. It's like like early in the second quarter, no one even realizes the Cardinals have negative four yards. I ended up replying to it and saying this tweet fucking stinks. Because it was bad. That's a bad tweet. Save your likes, don't like it, don't retweet it. I'm sorry you need to have some awareness here but i'm gonna, i'm excited for the segment moving forward i'm going to continue to bring in a bunch of butt cheeks tweets that i have but uh, i'm excited for that all right i just
1: i just uh even from looking back and finding i remember that one vividly because it's been brought up a few times but even just like looking back and going through you know april's past and it's like whoo because <laughs> like we don't know it's like kind of the thing that going back and looking at your takes is very humbling and very much gives you the perspective of you can feel very sure about something that does not come to fruition. That's
0: why you got to bring up the market factors, market evaluation, consensus boards, athleticism, all this stuff that's a bit more objective than you turning on the South Carolina broadcast film, South Carolina state broadcast. film be like, yeah, I don't see it. I will. I mean, just that's say, just like, that's just what it is, right? Like your take was not yeah. purely formed, but largely formed in turning on South Carolina state broadcast film of a safety playing linebacker. And you're like, yeah, I don't see it now. There's a lot of other factors that you know pay into him obviously productive in the NFL.
1: But something I will always say on this is that it behooves you where that is so much better to be too low on a guy than too high on a guy. If you're saying that I don't know who's a shitty linebacker, you're saying Stephen Anthony is Clemson. top five player in this class. That is way worse. Like mm-hmm. your top fifteen to twenty players on your board, players in the PFF board, better be fucking dunks. Yeah, you know. That is where you win as a gym. That's why the
0: Ortega-Whiteside stuff and the Andy Isabella he stuff. He's outside the top 20. Okay. He's okay, outside the top okay, 20. Okay, 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 okay.
1: But <laughs> I feel way worse about guys I'm too high on in retrospect than guys where it's like you missed and we're too low. It's because the opportunity costs, you can still draft a good player. Yeah. Say you didn't No, draft, that's a good point. You know?
0: That's a good point. I think you'd much rather be too low on a guy and miss out on that opportunity than like... Up, you'd be like, Cleveland Furl is a top three player. Exactly. You, know, you don't want to be like, that can set you back. <laughs> exactly. And it'll have you missing up on guys that maybe you were not, just not. Because the difference is like, Cleveland Furl at three, and then say you had like, I'm, they're not in the same class, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Cleveland Furl at three, Nick Bosa at four, right? And you're like, Okay, yeah. you take Cleveland Farrell because he's head on your board, but you just missed out on Nick Bosa, who's exactly. right there. Whereas if you had Cleveland Farrell, like 100, yeah, maybe you missed out on drafting him and he turns out to this big thing, but at least you didn't like overdraft a player ahead of him and stuff. But all right, last one introduce this new segment for us.
1: Okay, I'm still looking for a name, but I think this one's his mother isn't even that high in him. And it goes back to the old thing I've always said about when you tweet that you like a guy, a prospect, I think he's, you know, high. Someone inevitably replies. Oh, he's number five on my board. So that yeah, they're yeah. higher on them I, than you I, are. I
0: kinda have a name for this. Okay. What do you got? So you know those people you run into at parties or like you just meet oh, and they're yeah. story toppers? Story toppers. Yeah, I think. Prospect st- topper. Prospect topper, I think, is pretty good. I hate those people, by the it way. I remember your sexual, buddy, but... you introduced me to some guy, and I was like, there was one time in high school where um I had to like on a on a drive, had to like sit in the trunk and I, I wasn't even saying it to be like yeah i'm fucking badass <laughs> whatever it was just like oh yeah there was one time i had to do it in the trunk and this guy's like yeah one time i had to sit on the roof of a car for on the freeway for an hour and i was like dude can you go fuck yourself <laughs> like i wasn't even trying what was that this was a while ago remember okay. your buddy johnny oh okay yeah that, that guy, guy was a story topper man he was like, you it, could say anything he probably also
1: wasn't joking you, you
0: could i know he wasn't yeah. but you could say anything you be like yeah i did that while on a unicycle <laughs> yeah. while juggling it's like okay dude calm the fuck down Oh, anyway, Prospect topper, give me it to
1: and, me. and one that, like, spurred this as an idea for the show was I was looking uh, for news if uh, Sky Moore had declared for the draft. And the first thing I searched, uh, first tweet that comes up was Caleb Ellaby. This guy says, have you checked out Western Michigan QB Caleb Ellaby? Not sure if he comes out, but he's my QB two this year. Oh, my God. And Sky Moore is in my top ten wide receivers. This guy was higher on Caleb Elby. His name his is mother.
0: Caleb Elby Stan.
1: Yeah. Can you click
0: on this profile, One
1: That is a prospect topper of all prospect toppers.
0: Tell me you went to Western Michigan without telling me. You went to Western Michigan. I mean, this guy has Sky Moore in his top 10 receivers, and Caleb Elby is his QB two. Yeah. So yeah, he just went to Western Michigan.
1: This is to highlight people who have prospect topped, but also to highlight someone that I'm super high on in this segment, and that would be Sky Moore. The Western Michigan wide receiver. He is 43rd on the overall, on the PFF draft board. 43rd overall on the PFF draft board. That just dropped this week. And wide receiver seven. He's not in Mel Kuyper's top 13 wide receivers because he lists a 10, a 10A, a 10B, and a 10C, which that's kind of cheating at that point. And he's not even listed on Scouts Inc.'s board, which is uh, Todd McShay's basically thing. So Todd McShay hasn't even watched this dude. Um, But he's a junior coming out of Western Michigan. Led the NCAA in broken tackles this year. Checking at 86th on the Bleacher Report board and wide receiver 14. So, like, he's on radars, but he ain't 43rd on anyone else board that I saw or wide receiver 7. So Sky Moore is my – his mother isn't even that high on him. That's my prospect hopper of the week.
0: Love it. Love it. I'm going to start looking for those out too. That's pretty sweet. Uh, One more sponsor before we get to the interviews with Desmond Ritter and Isaiah Spiller, Western Southern, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football? What about a need to know? For your financial future, Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to 2,500 bucks, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February 13 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for the answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that's westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Now, let's get it. Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati and Isaiah Spiller of Texas a Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Cincinnati quarterback, Desmond Ritter man I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time you have been someone I've watched closely really dating back to when you first started at Cincinnati not a lot of people know before I started PFF covering the Bearcats a bit I remember when you were first there taking over for Hayden Moore and just how much you've improved over the course of your career over all the way up to now a national name right Cincinnati going undefeated in 2020 and this storied season in 2021 Desmond great to have you on the show
2: Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.
0: Where where I'd like to start, man, honestly, is let's get into this year, dude. What an insane year for the University of Cincinnati. Just you putting them in a prime position to go be the first group of five team, right? That makes the college football playoff. Be the first group of five team that all these signs get held up. We want Bama. We want Bama. That gets Bama, gets that opportunity. Just how electric was this season for you? And I guess speak to the importance of this season for obviously the Bearcats program.
2: Yeah, no, for us, um, you know, it was everything that, you know, we had hoped and dreamed for. Um, You know, last year, obviously, with the COVID season, a lot of the guys had an opportunity to come back and and really better themselves and play another year of football with, you know, a great group of guys and a great coaching staff. And, you know, a a lot of people after the Georgia game just felt that there was something more, you know, that the University of Cincinnati could do as far as uh, on the football field. and you know, we just knew that, you know, not only will we have a chance to, to go win another American Conference Championship, um, but we would also have ourselves to, to put ourselves on more of a national stage and, and, and put our names in the college football playoffs. And, you know, that was something that we worked on, you know, throughout the whole off season and, and through training camp and obviously all throughout the season. Um, but once we got into the season, you know, we took it game by game and, um, you know, the rankings started coming out and, and all this talk and all the media talk. Um, and, and we just kind of had to go and hide in ourselves and, and really, you know, just be with our teammates and with our coaches um, to just work day in and day out to be the best that we could be.
0: How much of the this momentum or this energy, right, to go on this run, to make the cows football playoff, really started right after the Georgia game last year, right? I think you guys left that game, obviously, bad taste in your mouth. felt like a game that you could win. James Hudson gets ejected. That affects a lot of things. Not able to come out that win against, obviously, a top-flight SEC component uh, opponent in Georgia. They end up winning the national championship this year. I feel like a lot of Cincinnati, Luke Fickle, yourself, the leaders on this team, the people deciding to come back, right? MyJay Sanders coming back, you deciding to come back. It started with that game, right? You have left more, you had more to prove. I guess talk about what some of the emotions were after that game and maybe how much, you know, that unfinished unfinished building or or unfinished feeling felt and like moved you forward in this game or moved you forward into this
2: season. Yeah. So, you know, a a lot of people thought, you know, my decision of whether to leave or to stay was going to be based on the Georgia game. If Mm -hmm. I was going to win, then then I was going to leave. And if we lost, I was going to stay. Um, but my mind was made up about two weeks before that Georgia game last season uh, of that I was staying and, you know, it just so happened that we had lost on a, on a last second, you know, field goal, which is the heartbreaker. Um, but it really just propelled, you know, not only myself, but like you mentioned, um, guys like Majay Sanders, guys like Kobe Bryant, Joel DeBlanco um, to come back and, and really, you know, leave a legacy at Cincinnati um, to, to propel us to do something, you know, bigger and better in, you know, honestly, that thing Cincinnati hasn't even seen or hasn't even done before. Um, so, you know, it was really just just the group of seniors that we had this past season. Uh, it really just motivated not only the other older guys, but, you know, all the younger guys. So like Coach Fick always says, you know, leave the place better than what you found it. Um, and, and that was what we did.
0: I think that's a perfect transition to talk more about just the impact that Luke Fickle has had on this program, right? I mean, he has done things that no one expected of Cincinnati since coming on board and recruiting talent, developing talent and building a culture that is now officially like a legitimate winning culture. One that can go toe to toe with the best in the power five. Talk about your relationship specifically with Luke Fickle and how much he's done for you and how much he's impacted your development. And then also, I guess, speak to what Cincinnati, Cincinnati has, right? Like Luke Fickle's here to stay, to turn this program, program around or continue to build up this winning program?
2: Yeah. So, you know, when Coach Fig came in his first year, um, they, they, we went four and eight. And, and, you know, he always just told us, just have blind faith. Um, blind faith and, you know, what they're doing with the program. Um, you know, what Coach Brady, the strength coach, is doing and, and everyone around him that, you know, that we're, we're going to be something greater than what we are. Uh, and like I said, it, it was really just blind faith. And, you know, Coach Fig has done a lot for me, both on and off the field. Um, you know, mentally he, he's made me the, the player and person I am today. Um, you know, he he's he's strong in the mental game and you know, on the field he just he's just made me who I am as far as um, just just going out there and knowing that you're you know always gonna be the, the best guy on the field. And you know, I try to trickle that down to kind of, you know, all the other players of you know, don't go out onto the field unless you don't think you're the best. Um, and, and, and that that culture and the the toughness and tough and nasty is what we like to call it. And the attitude that he instills in all of us, Um, you know, a lot of us come into Cincinnati as, you know, no star, two star, three star recruits. And, you know, we might have one four star recruit in the class or, um, or, or, you know, maybe one, maybe two. Um, So, you know, all of the guys that come there are really, you know, blue collar guys who are looking to prove themselves, um, who have a chip on their shoulder, who are are ready to play on a national level. Um, And then it just so happens to be that Cincinnati is also in, you know the the American Athletic Conference, which is you know considered the group of five. Um, we we don't use the, the term Power Five and group. We don't use that at Cincinnati um, because at the end of the day, when the ball goes down, football's football. Um, so really, just you know, Coach Fig just you know instilling in us that you know go out there and, and, and take body blows and give body blows, um, and it's really going to be the the toughest person that lasts at the end. It's made us who we are.
0: I think that's something that's. Uh, in my opinion, been underrated about this turnaround, right? I think a lot of the focus is on guys like yourself, guys that are now – you know, these guys talked about as top 50, top 40 players in the draft. It's talent. It's talent he's developed. But, like, he has turned this culture around how you guys approach – games has changed so much. I mean you bring up Brady, Brady Collins, the strength and conditioning uh, coach there. He's what he did with Derek Forrest, the safety who's now in the NFL, going from what he was as a freshman to coming out adding so much weight. Malik Van, another player that's added so much weight. There is so much there that blind faith, I think, has led to again a lot of production at Cincinnati and a lot of improvement. Let's let's speak more to your improvement, right? Where do you feel going back to your twenty eighteen season with Cincinnati, where you did have a lot of success early on, how much were where do you feel you've improved the most over the course of your career, all the way up to it obviously was a career year for both Cincinnati and yourself.
2: Yeah, obviously, um, you know, you can look at the stats and you can look at all the on-field stuff um, and see Im- improvement there. Um, but really, for me, I feel like the biggest improvement for myself has um, came within preparation off the field, um, being able to better myself in, in the weekly study of the game plan, um, sitting up in the coach's office, being able to, you know, be- meet with them. Um, and understand the game plan and, and really the whats and the whys of you know why we're doing this and you know why we're running this against a certain defense um, was one thing that really helped me out this season. That you know you know being a fifth-year quarterback um, in college, um, you know being a freshman, people say that the game comes at you fast and it, it things are flying around you like crazy and you don't know what you're seeing. Um, and, and now, obviously, the the preparation it just made it slow down. You know way much more. Um, You know, the game had slowed down for me around year three. Um, And and now, you know, it it was out there just like I was able to see everything before it was happening, Um, understanding, you know, what the defense was doing uh, against every single one of our plays. Um, So really, I would say my biggest improvement really came in, in preparation.
0: I want to talk a little bit about some of the other players on your team that are entering this draft class, or that have, uh, are held in high regard, right? Mahesh Sanders, Ahmad Garner, a sticky corner. That uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, the the, um, the award winner for the best cornerback in college football. How much did that help you, right? You talk about the improvement you've made in your preparation, but going against Sanders, Bryant, Gardner, DeBlanco, all, all, you know, every week in practice had to have also helped you as well.
2: Yeah, no, those are all great guys. And I, I know you mentioned Derek Forrest earlier. Um, and, you know, we got guys like James Wiggins. So, you know, there's just been players throughout my entire career at Cincinnati um, that have gone on to play the next level who have, who have helped me propel who I am today. Um, going against top talent guys like Sauce, like Kobe, um, and, and then a lot of people sleep on, you know, Brian Cook, um, who, who is a great safety as well. Um, you know, we just challenge each other every single day to be the best that we can be. Um, because we know at the end of the day that, you know, when we get out there on Saturdays, that the defense has to trust the offense, the offense has to trust the defense, and we all have to trust the special teams. Um, so, you know, why not give the best look that you can get, you know, during those weeks of practice so that, you know, when you go out there on Saturdays, um, you can be able to play your best ball.
0: Let's get a little bit into this pre-draft process, right? You are entering a very hectic part of your football career, talking to a lot of draft prospects, interviews with teams, with media, working out. I know you're out there in California training for the Combine Pro Days. You also have the Senior Bowl coming up, right? A big opportunity to show yourself, you know, show out with some of the best quarterbacks in the country alongside some of the best quarterbacks in the country and also against some of the other best 2022 draft prospects. Let's start there. How excited are you to go down there in Mobile and go toe-to-toe with some of the best draft prospects in this class? And I guess what are you most looking forward to when you get down there?
2: Yeah, first of all, you know, I'm just blessed to be in the, the opportunity and the position that I'm at right now. Um, just being out here, being able to train, um, to, to lifelong dream and goal of mine to play in the NFL. So, you know, it's just a blessed opportunity that I have, uh, that I have right now in front of me. Um, uh, but the Senior Bowl, you know, it's also another great opportunity to go out there and, you know, show my talents against every other top senior in the country. Um, and, and it's going to be a great competition, you know, not only between um, the quarterbacks, but, you know, between, you know, both teams and, and all sides of the ball. But, um, you know, I think one thing that I look forward to is just getting down there and, you know, meeting all the other guys and connecting with them and gelling and, you know, just showing all the, the coaches and, and everyone that I think is, is, you know, a hidden talent or whatever, but, you know, just how quick I can gel with other people and other teammates and, you know, how easily it, it comes to be a leader.
0: You know, in this pre-draft process, you're going to be, you know, so much content comes out around the draft these days. Mock drafts, big boards, strengths, weaknesses, all this stuff. Everyone's going to be telling you what you do well and what you don't and what round you should go in, all this stuff. But I would love to hear from you. What do you feel separates you in this quarterback class? What are, you know, some of the biggest strengths that the NFL team is going to get?
2: Yeah, one, um, preparation. Um, One is going to be prepared every single game, um, every single day to come in ready to work. Um, and then one who's also going to lead a team, like I said, um, that, that's not going to be a, a force leader, one that can come in and, and, you know, take over a locker room in, in a great way. That's going to be a positivity to, you know, not only myself and the offense, but, you know, to the defense and special teams and everyone on the team. Um, I, I feel like I'm a, a great versatile quarterback who's going to be able to take care of the ball um, and make plays when plays are needed to be made and, and get the ball in the playmaker's hands. Des,
0: this has been awesome. I only have one more question for you. I'm not sure if you remember this. Mike Warren, former running back for Cincinnati, remember he was at a post-game press conference that I was covering, and there was some conversation about how much you guys were talking trash in that game, and whatever it was, Warren, you know, was a bit of a quiet guy, right? He brings up your name. He says, now, you know who talks the most trash is Desmond Ritter. How much do you plan to bring that to the NFL? Uh, so, you know, that
2: was, that was like my redshirt freshman year. Um, and, and then in years past, you know, I've kind of chilled out a little bit. On oh, it. come just, on. You know, <laughs> uh, Hey, I mean, it, it comes out when it comes out. And, you know, emotions get to you when you're out there on the field. Um, but, you know, I've really learned to just kind of lock in and focus on the game um, and kind of let the, the, the rest play itself out. <laughs> um, you know, you, you always talk about here people that they play these, you know, crazy songs right before they go out to warm up. And, um, and that's what I did, you know, my freshman year as, as a young kid. And then, you know, into the past two years, you know, it's just kind of been, you know, locking in and focused. no music. I'm um, just kind of getting prepare for the game. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I'm no pushover either. So, you know, well, you know, when, when, when players are going to try to come down on me, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring it back and just let them know that, you know, the presence is there and I'm here.
0: Well, I'm excited to see it. I'm sure the rest of the NFL and NFL fans are excited to see it as well, man. I really wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thanks again.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.
0: Now joining the Tailgate podcast is Texas a and running back Isaiah Spiller. I've been looking forward to this one for a while, and you're actually in my neck of the woods now, training with Exos in the San Diego area. I need to know, what's the weather like out there?
3: Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, sunny every day. Uh, can't complain.
0: <laughs> I miss it all the time, man. PFF is actually based in Cincinnati, so don't get a lot of opportunities of the sunny and 75. It actually snowed all day today, so the walk to work was not great. But let's focus more on you, man. I want to talk about kind of, your storied high school career and, 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 you know, this recruiting status that you had former four-star recruit with a ton of offers, uh, from, you know, from the Houston area, what walk me through your high school career, how that recruiting process started to heat up. And then what ultimately led you to, you know, stay in state and make the decision, you know, choosing Texas A&M over Bama, Oklahoma, et cetera.
3: Um, well, I was committed to Oklahoma for a minute. Um, and, uh, I just felt like at the time, um, I wanted to further my options. Um, as a junior, I decommitted. And at the time, I was kind of lost. And once Jimbo came into office, he recruited me every day, him and Coach Graham. And they really made me feel like I was at home, um, you know. So I really took key to that. Coach Fish is a great coach. Um, he has great status. So, um, and Coach Graham was telling me I was going to be the only back and I was had the ability to play early. So um, that played a big part in my decision. And um, I felt like I made the right one.
0: Yeah, Texas A&M, man. I wanted to talk a little bit about Jimbo Fisher. I had to Marvin Leal on this podcast. And, man, the, the culture he says Jimbo is bringing to, sex, to Texas A&M is just different, I guess. Speak to that and you know, what he is telling these recruits. I mean, Texas A&M, again, on another monster recruiting class. They're building a monster out there in College Station, I guess. What kind of culture really is Jimbo pitching to these kids and building at Texas A&M?
3: Um, I think he's building a um, a team culture, um, guys putting the team before themselves. Um, and I think we've instilled that, the 2019 class coming in, his first real cast coming in and, you know, trying to change the culture and change the program. And um, I think we've done that. Um, we set that example. And um, I think those guys that are coming in and those guys that are there are going to uh, be real contenders in years to come. And uh, I can't wait to see what they got in store. It
0: sounds like, you know, even even early on, you had a really good relationship with Jimbo Fisher in your recruiting process. But I guess speak to how much that relationship has improved over the course of your Texas A&M career and just what he meant to your development as you obviously take your career to the next level.
3: Um, Jimbo played a big part in my development as a player, um, you know, mentally, um, physically too, just mentally how to approach the game, how to prepare for a game, um, you know, the ins and outs, um, you know, how to act during the game, whether things are going good or bad for you. So um, Coach Jimbo is a great coach, and um, I think he's really going to um, help a excel this year.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think Texas a like I said, is really beating a monster. When I had DeMarvin on the show, one of my favorite questions I asked him was about this Alabama win, man. His his eyes lit up, his face lights up about you know, how you know just how different that day was for Texas A&M I and mean, how much of a you know how much of a milestone it was for Jimbo and that team. I want to know start to finish the story, man, of you preparing for that game, what all went into that week, the mentality you had going into that game, and then obviously the game itself, storming the field, Jimbo celebrating, you celebrating. Walk me through it.
3: Um, it was. Um unreal, man. Um, you know, coming into the week, we just had came off a loss, so everybody was feeling kinda down. But um I just we was just telling ourselves to believe. Um, you know, we just seen it as a great opportunity for us to shock the world. And um I feel like we obviously did that and uh it was a great moment. Um, something I'll never forget. Um, fans running on the field, just celebrating with my team, something I'll never forget, being the number one team. Um, you know, and um I feel like that really Prepared our season to have a better season than we thought we were going to have. Um, so, and I'm grateful for that moment. Uh, never I, f- don't,
0: I don't think enough people talk about the rivalry between, you know, Texas A&M and Bama. It's really, you know, everyone in the SEC versus Bama. But I guess, how you know, how different is that matchup for you, right? Obviously, everyone in the SEC, you're looking to beat down, you're looking to beat up. But them knowing that they're top of the mountain and all that stuff, I guess, is it is it a different energy at Texas A&M when it is Alabama week?
3: Uh, I think it is. Um, Just, you know, knowing that your opponent is going to be great. Um, You know, you got to give your all. So I feel like every time Ben was pops on the schedule, Um, I feel like we all just get excited and ready to play. And um, I feel like those guys in them right now are just ready to, you know, put it all together, I feel like. So hopefully they do that.
0: I'd love to hear more about your preparations process, specifically in season, throughout a game week. You know, what you look for specifically on film against a certain opponent, against a certain linebacker, whatever you are looking at. I guess walk me through, you know, Monday through Friday, what you really look for when you turn on the film, when you're preparing for an Alabama whoever it may be in the SEC.
3: Um, really just looking at the fronts, um, you know, four, three, four, um, five two fronts, you know, if it's Oaky or under or over. Um, I feel like, like, also we look at blitz and stunts, D line stunts. So, and the linebackers matter too. they Mickey Crossing. So, just looking at all those things, you know, corner blitzes, watching the safety rotations, really all those things matter. And, um, you know, Coach Robinson did a great job of teaching us in the running back room of how to. Pick up blocks and read defenses as before the play and after the play. So, um, I think that really is going to help me at the next level. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, the film room is such a big part of that. How about in the off season, Do you ever have opportunities to you know turn on the tape either yourself? I know some guys like to watch their own tape back, but either either that or other you know, NFL players, right? Trying to pick up you know tips and tricks from players in the NFL that maybe you see your game or mirror your game after.
3: Yeah, um, obviously, I watch myself. Um, You know, just to to critique myself, self-evaluate. My dad also helps me with that, too. He's very picky on me. So I'm grateful for that. Um, Also, I watch, you know, guys like Jonathan Taylor, guys who are having success in the league, Joe Mixon. Um, I've watched uh, a little bit of Le'Veon Bell. I watch him a lot, um, his old tapes. So just guys that have success, and I feel like that has mirrored my style. So, um, you know, I try to imitate that and, uh, you know, be better player.
0: You brought him up. I'd love to hear more about the relationship with your dad and his legacy at Texas A&M, I'm sure, had a big part in you committing there, obviously, to committing to the Aggies. But you know, what is that relationship like with your dad? And I guess how big has he been in this process supporting you at Texas A&M and now going into the draft?
3: Uh, my dad, man, he's my best friend. Uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, he's been to every game. Um, never missed a game. So I'm just grateful for his support. He's always been there for me. Um, through my ups and downs. So it um, also just helped me decide where I wanted to be as a college player, um, you know, just giving me the ins and outs of what what to expect and, um, you know, how to work and, uh, you know, giving my all to the team. Um, it's something he taught me to be a team player. Um, so I'm just grateful for everything he's taught me. And, uh, you know, I like to further it and continue um, in the league.
0: That's awesome to hear, man. That is such a great opportunity for you. And I'm, I'm excited to see that relationship move forward going into now this off season, right? It's hectic, man. It's like a four month long job interview. You're training for the combine. You're training for pro days. all will of all these different things. I guess what you know, you're out there at San Diego right now, training with exos. Are there certain drills that you're prioritizing? Or is there certain, you know, parts of your game on field that you're looking to improve from a technique perspective, film you're watching? What are some of your biggest goals or priorities going into this offseason as you prepare for some of the bigger events like the Combine Pro Day, et cetera?
3: Um, you know, just focusing on the game, um, working on the drills, um, becoming an expert at them, the 40, um, the shuttle. Um, the L drills, just working every day to get better at um, those drills so I can really show what uh, the lead what I got. And, um, you know, I think uh, me working with XOs is really uh, helping me. So I uh, can't wait to get out there.
0: That's phenomenal, man. I think I got one more question for you, and I'll let you go. In this process, you know, a big part of it, too, is these interviews, right? Interviewing with NFL teams, interviewing with scouts and doing these different things. Like One of my favorite questions, probably one you're going to hear a ton, is compare yourself to the strengths of this class, right? It's such a talented running back class, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. There are a ton of guys in there. Obviously, a lot of NFL teams are going to cover it. I guess compare yourself to those running backs and why maybe you set yourself apart.
3: Um, I think I set myself apart because I'm an all-around back. I think I could do it all, Um, block, run, catch. And, um, you know, those other guys, they're great. Um, I've obviously watched them multiple times. So um, it's just going to be fun, you know, competing against those guys. I'm a competitor. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, that really sets me apart and, um, I think I like to prove that and then talk about it, um, than anything. So, um, I just can't wait to get out there to prove, um, why I should be number one.
0: Isaiah, fantastic stuff. I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. One, Desmond Ritter, fucking phenomenal. Love that guy. Two, I've had two Texas A&M guys on this pod, DeMarvin Leal and Isaiah Spiller. I just love asking him about that Bama game. Like it takes them like an hour to get off the field. The, the f- fans rushing and all that stuff. I mean, it's their, their faces light up for that, man. It was you should seat.
1: have asked them about the 12th man and the guy saying uh, laughingstock.
0: I, I still don't think that's as popular as you make it seem. Like, it is that was, really? That
1: video went viral for like days. And okay. it was an incredible, I just cannot fathom being in that crowd and taking that guy seriously. In that, We
0: moment. need to get that on the fun the read segment one of these days because it is an incredible piece. All right, but, until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate.